Yes, let's do that. Um, I would also say that uh, I'm glad to see people here because you never know when the weather is a little bit rough, uh, how people are going to be feeling, if it's cold and rainy. I mean, you just look at church trends and numbers are, are down from what they normally are. But anyway, um, I am glad to see you all out here and glad to have everybody be able to gather together. Um, I would say that uh, we are 11 months into this whole pandemic thing, uh, which is real crazy to think about and to, to talk about. 11 months of not uh, getting together as we're used to. Um, and I would say it's probably 11 months since some of you here have talked to some of the people who are meeting virtually with us. And I would say, uh, let's reach out to one another. Let's get in contact, check on one another. Um, it felt really good for Daniel to text me on, uh, when was it? Whenever the snow came or the ice came and say, hey, uh, are y'all okay? I was like, yep, we're good. We got power. So uh, it was really nice. So I know the people that we haven't been in contact with or that you haven't been in contact with would appreciate hearing uh, something from you. And I would also say because of that, let's plan on April 24th. Jeremy just announced it. Let's plan on getting together and, and making it happen as just reconnecting as a group. We're going to be outside those shelters. One shelter says it holds 100 people and one shelter says it holds 35 people. We don't have 135 people in our crew at this point. So uh, I know that many people are not going to show up for it so we can spread out. Um, and we'll make sure we're not crowded uh, that way. But it's going to be fun, and I'm looking forward to it. So make it happen. Uh, wear a mask if you want, and uh, bring a chair, and it'll be fun. So enough of that. Uh, we're going to go, like Jeremy said, to the book of Acts, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 8 this morning. And um, last week, if you remember, I said that we cheated a little bit, and we talked about Stephen, uh, because Stephen is not really an apostle, was not an apostle. Um, he was a leader within the church. Well, there's another guy um, that I didn't realize going into it. If you look, the next chapter, we, talk, we look at Philip. Um, and I always thought this was Philip, the Apostle Philip, because there is an Apostle Philip. Um, but when you look at what the text actually says, uh, this is probably not Philip the Apostle that we're talking about. This is probably Philip the Evangelist. And I wish people would just, these parents would look in a baby book and find some names because they overlap all the time. Uh, we're going to talk about Philip, who was not an Apostle. Um, we're going to talk about Simon, who was not the apostle Simon Peter. Um, and Jeremy's going to talk about next week, he's going to talk about another Simon, um, Simon Tanner and all this stuff, right? So these, these names just overlap. Um, but we're going to cheat a little bit again this morning when we talk about Philip, who is not the apostle. Uh, and then we're going to talk about a couple of apostles, Peter and John. Well, really Peter, John's there, but he didn't say anything. So we're going to talk about Peter but what connects these guys or this event, these events to happen is this man named Simon. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get into what, what was the deal with Simon, okay? So Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4, um, let's, uh, let's go there right now. So Acts 8 verse 4, it says this, Therefore those who had been scattered went through places preaching the word. Pause. Okay, here's how we know this is not Philip the Apostle, or why I believe it's not Philip the Apostle, because... Right before this, Stephen is stoned to death, right? We talked about that last week. Stephen is killed, Stephen is stoned, and it says, from that day, there was a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem. And the church was scattered in all directions, except the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem, okay? So the people that are scattered are not the apostles, and the church is scattered far and wide. It actually turns out to be a really good thing because not, it doesn't, it's not just happening in Jerusalem anymore. It's happening all throughout the world. Anyway, so the people who were scattered through, uh, went through the places preaching the word. Philip, 
who was one of those that was scattered, went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming the Christ to them. The crowds were paying attention with one mind to what was being said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed or limped on crutches were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. So this Philip, whether he is the apostle or not, uh, because of the persecution of the church, ends up in Samaria. And as he is going through Samaria, he is teaching and he is preaching, but he's not just teaching and preaching verbally. He is uh, uh, going through there with the power of the Holy Spirit and people are being healed and people are being freed in really incredible ways. Um, and I'm telling you, this is the outreach program of the church, okay? This right here is the outreach program of the early church we're gonna go heal some people. We're gonna go free some people from some demons. And then because of that action, they're gonna wanna know what source, what power we're doing that by. And we get to tell them about Jesus and we get to tell them about the resurrection life. And I think that's exactly the way that it happened with Philip. He was going through Samaria, doing these healings. People were seeing these things that he was doing. People were experiencing these things that were happening, uh, that God was doing through him. And, uh, and he was then able to say, hey, listen, it's this Jesus guy. So Philip was not your, your street evangelist in the way that we understand it, right? He is not walking, being weird and walking up to people and saying, hey, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your personal Lord and Savior? Like, that's a weird way to start a conversation. I'll just, that's a weird way for somebody to start a conversation with me because all I can say is yes. And then where do we go from there, right? It's weird, okay? So he's not a street evangelist in that way. He's finding people who need healing. He's finding people with real life issues that they are struggling with, that they have been struggling with, and, uh, and he's healing them in the name of Jesus. And then because of what they're experiencing, they're gonna ask him, what is this about? And he gets to tell because he has authority now in their life. He gets to, to witness to them about this resurrection power that comes in the name of Jesus. And so he's not standing on the sidewalk condemning people, condemning sin. He's not out there saying that the, the Lord is coming soon. Uh, you better get right with God uh, because God's gonna judge you for your sins. No, he's, he's operating like Jesus. And he's walking around and he's healing people and they're drawn to that, right? And so Philip is doing that. He's healing in the name of Jesus, bringing freedom. And it says that uh, people were giving him their attention, right? So they're, they're paying attention to him. All right, let's keep reading now in verse nine. Now, a man named Simon had previously been practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And all the people from small to great were paying attention to him, saying, this man, that's Simon, this man, this is what they said about him, is the power of God that is called great. And they were paying attention to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip as he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were being baptized. Now, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip and he observed signs and great miracles taking place and he was repeatedly amazed. So enter into our story, Simon, okay? Simon, this great, well-known figure, this guy um, who, who to, he, he had influence over people to the point that people from small to great, that's everybody, okay? Small to great, everybody said, this guy is the power of God, not has the power of God. They said, Simon is the power of God. He is great. 
in that way. That's what they were saying about him. So this guy is, is a guy who had serious influence in this area. Everybody knew who he was. He had serious power. And whether that was from uh, illusion, like sleight of hand tricks that people didn't know what was going on, or whether that's actual like sorcery, real like demonic power or whatever the source, we don't know. Um, either way, it's effective. And people looked at this guy and said, wow, this is somebody who is great. This is guy, because of, he's doing things that we can't explain. He's doing things that we don't understand and that are seemingly impossible. But the scripture tells us that when Philip came to town, the things that Philip was doing, the work of the spirit through Philip was so powerful that even Simon believed in the source of that power. And he was baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, as we read, as you continue to read, what's happening is these people are coming to Jesus. They're being baptized in Jesus. They're believing, they're getting saved. They're believing and they're being baptized um, and they're experiencing these miracles. They're seeing these things happening, but they have not yet experienced the Holy Spirit pouring out on them, okay? Um, so the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is there because they're made new, right? And we know that they have the Spirit of God if they're made new. If they believed in Jesus, the scripture says that you're made new. And so we know the Holy Spirit is there, but the Holy Spirit has not been poured out on them in the way that the apostles and some others have experienced that so far. And so the apostles who are still in Jerusalem, remember, hear about what's happening with Philip in Samaria. They hear about people believing. And they also hear that the Holy Spirit has not been poured out on them. They have not received the Spirit. And so they send Peter and John down to Samaria to investigate and then also to lay hands on people so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they might experience the Holy Spirit. And so that's exactly what happens. Peter and John come down to Samaria. They start praying for people. They start laying hands on people and they are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And Simon, this man who is a new believer, he's a baby believer, right? He knows nothing, just found Jesus, just convinced, just baptized. He sees this thing happening when Peter and John lay their hands on people. He sees this thing happening. And we pick this up in verse 18. It says this, now when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought that you could acquire the gift of God with money. You have no part to share in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart will be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of unrighteousness. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Before we get into this, I should have started with this. I've been reading the book of Acts and something occurred to me this week uh, that hasn't really occurred to me in the way that it did this week. And that is the apostles are still figuring this thing out. They're not Jesus. Peter is not Jesus. Peter is not perfect, right? So when I look at this response, Peter's response to Simon, I'm like, Ooh, that's strong, Peter, right? 
And it fits with Peter's personality, right? Peter was the first one to grab a sword and cut a guy's ears off when they were trying to come and capture Jesus. I don't think he was aiming for the ear, right? He just wasn't very skilled with a sword. He missed the head, is what I'm thinking, right? So, and I, don't, I can't, what did Jesus do? Jesus was like, no, Peter, stop. That's not it. That's not how we're going to do this. And I can see Jesus in this same instance when Peter comes onto this guy and he jumps on this guy's case, I can see Jesus going, all right, hang on, Peter. Dial it back because that's Peter's personality, right? So just be aware of that as we read this. Um, But wow, Simon, this new believer, sees the power of the Holy Spirit on people, poured out on people. And Simon goes, ooh, I want that right? I want that ability. And it's really important for us to know that that's what he's asking for. He's not asking, may I have the Holy Spirit? Can I have the Holy Spirit? Can I experience the Holy Spirit? That's not what he's offering to pay the money for. He's offering to pay the money for the authority and for the power of being able to affect people in this way. That's what Simon is asking for, okay? And that's really important that we know that um, and that we pay attention to that. Because When you ask, okay, well, who laid hands on people? Who had this authority to give the Holy Spirit? Well, the apostles did. So in a way, Simon, this brand new baby believer is like, I want the authority of an apostle. And we look at that and we're like, well, that doesn't doesn't make sense. Why would this guy who's just convinced and just who's been baptized and just believed, why would we put him in charge of the church? Because that was the authority that that the apostles had. So we can look and recognize and go, no, 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 that's, that's not the way this works. Now, as we go through this, I don't want to get bogged down in a theological debate that is right in front of us, um, because theologically, you can look at this thing and you can pick apart this, this experience with the Holy Spirit that people are having with the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit, and you can say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. These people believed and were baptized, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit? How does that work? How does it work that you can believe and you can be a Christian but not have the Holy Spirit? And there are people who will argue that and they'll use texts like this to say, you can can believe and you can be a Christian but not have the Holy Spirit. I'm not one of those people. I think the Holy Spirit was there. I think the Holy Spirit was in them, was active in them. But I think what was going on is they were not aware of the Holy Spirit, okay? They had not welcomed the Holy Spirit into their experience yet. When you look at the word uh, there that is interpreted received, that word received, when they had not yet received the Holy Spirit, it's a very active term, okay? It means to choose, to welcome, to embrace, that kind of a thing, right? So uh, I think what's going on here is what we see mirrored in later on when Paul is talking to another group of people. He shows up and he says, hey, have you guys been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they're like, wait, we didn't even know that was a thing. What is this Holy Spirit? We didn't even know that was a thing. I think that's what's going on. They don't even know it's a thing. And so Peter and John go down and now that they know it's a thing, they welcome, they receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you in the book of Acts, and I would say now, when that happens, when people welcome, when people embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, there are outward signs of that, okay? In the book of Acts, buildings shake. People shake. People speak in tongues. There is prophesying, okay? When people welcome or embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, there's outward signs. Not always, but it happens, okay? 
I was saved when I was 17 years old. I was 35 years old before I welcomed and embraced the Holy Spirit, okay? Before I actively said, yeah, I want that. 35 years old, I, I have no doubt that I was saved. But that was my experience too. And so there are outward signs of this when it happens, okay? People speak in tongues, building shake, there's prophesying, very spiritual activities that don't have physical, normal explanations because they're spiritual activities, they're spiritual happenings. And Simon is a witness to these outward experiences that people are having of this inward reality, of the spiritual reality. He sees all of this. Now remember who Simon is, okay? Remember who he was. This is the man who was a magician. He was an entertainer of sorts, okay? He entertained crowds. He wowed crowds with his ability for a very long time. He was known for doing things that other people couldn't do, for having powers that other people didn't have. That's who he was. And now there's a new show in town with people having abilities that he doesn't have, people having authorities that he has never experienced. And so Simon... because of who he was, wants in on this. Not necessarily to experience it. He wants to be the one to have the authority to affect people in this way. In such a dramatic way. And so he offers to pay Peter and John in order for them to give him this authority, okay? Or to show him how it's done. Maybe there's a secret. Maybe there's a trick. Maybe there's something going on um, that I need to know about. And he says, I'll pay you for that. I'll pay you for those secrets. Just let me in. Give me that authority so that I can do this thing. But Peter, remember who he is, very strongly says, "Uh, buddy, that's not the way this works. Back it up, right? Let's put the brakes on here. This isn't the way it works. You have no share in this matter, right? You're not a part of this. Clearly, you don't understand it. Clearly, your intentions with this are off. Your heart, isn't right in the, your heart isn't in the right place for this, okay? So we're just gonna put the brakes on, stop. And you should also, by the way, pray that if it's possible, God would forgive you of this thing. If it's possible? To me, that, see, that shows me Peter's still, he's learning, right? If it's possible that God would forgive you of this. Well, of course it's possible. Of course it is. But Peter goes on, he says, because I can see that you are in the gall of bitterness. You are in the bondage of unrighteousness. Those are very strong terms we're gonna come back to after a little bit. But essentially, Peter says, listen, this isn't something that you can buy. And the fact that you are trying to buy it tells me that you've got some thinking and you got some growing to do, young man. You don't get it at all. And so in the face of a pretty strong rebuke, what, what is Simon supposed to do? He goes, pray for me. Pray for me. Won't you pray for me, please? And that's kind of the last that we hear of this Simon. That's the last that we hear of this Simon the magician in the scripture. Now, there are some external sources, uh, writings from the church fathers, right? So Justin Martyr and, and uh, Irenaeus and, and those kind of guys, uh, other guys that I can't pronounce their name. Um, who refer to Simon Magnus. They point to it as being this guy who was um, not a very nice guy in, in the end is what they, they write about him. Um, he was probably the, or they, they allude to the fact that he's 
the, the first of the Gnostics, which is like a, an offshoot of Christianity that's, that's not legitimate belief in Jesus kind of a thing. Um, and they say that you know, he was the perpetu- or perpetrator of all this and, and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I don't have any of that in the scripture. I don't have any of that. And I'm, I'm gonna go by what the text says, okay? Um, because there's a lot of other things that the church fathers write that you can read that we just go, meh, I think that's kind of legend. I think that's not maybe accurate. Okay, the scripture is the inspired word of God and I'm gonna stick with that. And what the scripture says is that Simon believed and was baptized. It says that Simon believed and, and, and what is it to be made new? It's, it's to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, right? And so I'm gonna go with that. So what does the scripture say about Simon in this interaction with Philip and then the apostles, Peter, Peter and John when they come? Well, let's ask this question. Who was this Simon guy? Let's talk about Simon a little bit more. Who was he? Before Philip shows up, Simon's the man, okay? Simon is the man. He is the big shot in town. Scripture says that Simon had amazed people for a very long time. He had astonished them with his magic arts for a very long time. They were impressed by Simon's abilities to do things that seemed impossible. They saw him and they saw this guy and they said, this guy is the power of God. That's how they looked at Simon. Simon was the man. Simon had power. Simon had influence. Simon had authority in Samaria. People looked to him. They gave him their attention, it says. And all eyes were on him, okay? All eyes were on him. Everybody knew him. He was a man of power and influence. That's who Simon was. That's who this guy was. But when Philip came to town, when Philip came to town, Philip came with power, okay? Philip came with power. Philip was doing miracles that were impossible where Simon might've been doing these things that were pretty amazing and we couldn't really explain them. Philip was doing things in people's lives that, I mean, you got probably townspeople looking at their friend John who hadn't ever walked in his entire life is now running around in the city. So people are like, oh, that's a different level. That's a different level of power. I know Simon's been doing some things, but that's a different level of power. Um, and what does the scripture say about it? It says this. They say, it says that they paid attention to Philip. When Philip came to town, they paid attention to Philip with one mind. In other words, their attention's not divided. They did give their attention to Simon, but Philip came and now they're on Philip, right? They're focused on Philip. They understand this is something we haven't seen. So Philip now had the attention. It wasn't on Simon anymore. And where Simon had used his power and, and this attention that he was getting to gain power and significance for himself, because the scripture says that he claimed that he was somebody great. Simon was, was using that for his own gain. Philip turned the attention that he was getting over to Jesus. And Philip claimed that the things that were happening, the miracles that people were experiencing was the good news of the kingdom of God. This was resurrection life. This is the thing that you've been offered in Jesus Christ. And it comes through the name of Jesus Christ. He was showing people the power of the resurrection life that was possible because of Jesus. It wasn't about Philip. It was about Jesus is what he was pointing to. Simon was performing acts and claiming the power was his home. Philip was performing greater acts and claiming the power didn't come from him. Power came because of the resurrection life that's in Jesus. It's a big difference. And I think the difference was so big that even Simon, who was a man of power, says, 
I, I don't know what to do with that. And so Simon was convinced and believed in the source of power that Philip brought. Because it says that Simon, this great magician, believes and is baptized. And I believe that Simon knew power. He recognized power because it was his business. It was his livelihood. It was the way that he survived on this planet, okay? It was the way he coped, the way he got uh, he, the, this attention that he was getting was because of this thing. And Simon saw the power of God through Philip and he recognized, he said, this is bigger than me. This guy is claiming power not for himself, but in the name of Jesus Christ. And I don't have an answer for that. People saw the power and believed, including Simon the Great. And I believe that when Simon believed, he believed, okay? Scripture says that he believed and he was baptized. That sounds like a pretty done deal to me, okay? Sounds like he believed in the name of Jesus and he was baptized. It doesn't say he pretended to believe. It doesn't say he went along with the crowd secretly hoping to to learn tricks, although he kind of went back to that, but it doesn't say that was intention. It says that he believed and he was baptized. I believe Simon was a Christian. He was a member of the way. He was a follower of the way. There's a lot of people who would argue with me on that. But I'm gonna go with what scripture says. It says he believed. And I'm gonna go with the scripture that says, if you believe in the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. So then what's the deal with Simon? Okay, He's saved. Why then does he go and he take Peter, John, Peter and John aside, tuck a hundy in his hand, go to shake their hand. Hey guys, you know, wanna give me a little secret? Let me in. I'll, I got more money where that came from. What's that about? What, what, what is that whole thing? What's going on there? Well, we talked about who is this Simon guy. Remember who Simon was. Remember who he was. This was a man who had the attention of the people. He was the man, Simon the Great. He was the guy that people looked to. And what got him to that point? Being able to do things that other people couldn't do. Having power and authority that other people did not have. He made his living with power. He amazed people to get to that point. His entire world was structured around this idea of having an authority that other people didn't have. It was who he was. The life that he knew was to be adored because of his own abilities and other people's lack of those abilities. And all of a sudden, his world is interrupted by a power that he doesn't have. It's interrupted by a power that he, doesn't, he can't explain. So much so that he's convinced by the authority or convinced of the source of this power that he becomes a believer. But then this other thing comes in where, where he's seeing these outward signs, this Holy Spirit activity happening and, uh, and uh, he wants a part of that, right? Like I said, I believe he is 100% his belief in genuine, or his belief in Jesus was genuine. I 100% believe that because it says so. So then why does he try and pull this thing with Peter and John? What's that about? Remember who Simon was. All that Simon knew from before this belief in baptism that had just happened was adoration from people for power. How many years 
had Simon existed in that environment? How many years had he lived that life? How long had that way of thinking and operating in this world supported him and reinforced its effectiveness in this life? It says a very long time, very long time. It was all he knew. So I believe when Simon sees Peter and John laying hands on people and praying that they would welcome the Holy Spirit and seeing the effects of this happening, even though he's made new in Christ, because I believe his belief is genuine, that old trigger flips. Oh, this is an opportunity for what I've known my entire life. That old trigger happens. And his old ways of thinking and the old patterns of behavior, in those ways, this is an opportunity for him, okay? People, old ways die hard. Old patterns die hard. Simon had new life. Simon had a new heart, but his brain still functioned in the old way. His brain was still convinced that that's how I need to work in this world in order to live, in order to make it, in order to survive. That's what his brain told him. Simon had new life and a new heart, but his brain still functioned in the old way. Now, many would look at this story and many do look at this story. I probably even look at this story and I'm like, well, look right there. Simon's belief wasn't genuine. All it took was a new power to come in and he was already back there doing it. So he couldn't have been made new. Many people would say that. But think about this in modern terms. Put it in our world for perspective. In the life of an addict, in the life of an alcoholic, somebody who is dependent on substance to get through life. I don't know how long, but think about it in those terms. They've depended on drugs or alcohol in order to make it. Whatever reason, that's, that's how they're surviving in this world. And they finally hear the good news of Jesus. And they believe that he died for them. They believed that he rose from the grave. They believe that he will give them new life. They're convinced. They believe and they're baptized. Are you telling me that if they have a moment of weakness where they go back to the bottle or they go back to the drug, that that is evidence that their belief wasn't real? I'm not saying that it's right. I'm not saying that it's good. I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm not saying that it's gonna, not gonna have consequences in this world. But to say that they have forfeited or faked their belief. What about a less dramatic situation? Because it's easy in those big things, right? To say, well, that's proof, right? Okay, well, let's do less dramatic situation. What about somebody who's a gossip? Okay, what about that? Or somebody who has a little bit of trouble with the truth. They, they stretch the truth pretty often. They find Jesus. They're made new in Christ. But Tuesday morning, that gossip is on the phone again going, did you see what Mary wore to church? I can't believe she would do that. Hmm. Or Wednesday morning, that guy gets up that had a little bit of trouble with, with the truth. And he, he's a little bit late to work. 
And he gets to, gets to his clock and he clocks in and he stretches it a little bit. Cheats on his time a little bit. Well, was their belief not authentic? Weren't they made new? What happened? I thought God fixed all that. What's, what's, the, what's the deal, right? Was the work of Christ in them incomplete? Or was it somehow not valid? No, of course it's valid. But old patterns of behavior die hard. The things that have served us for so long as we navigate this system of the world, they die hard. They don't go away like that. Even though we have trusted in Jesus for new life and we have new hearts and we have a spirit that's alive in Christ, those things that we used to get by or we used to do to get by, we go back to those things. The old way, it's tough to drop. It's tough to drop. Now, I've seen the attic. I know the attic. Who was high the moment they came to Christ? Immediately sober, never touched it again. I know that person, okay? That's not the way it works for most people. Simon was a guy who needed the attention of people and who made his living based on the attention that he got. That's gonna be a really difficult change overnight. Sin patterns and habits can continue on even after real life change. And our tendency in the church to say, well, if they were serious about it, they would just stop. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. Your issue might be that easy, but it's not that easy for everybody. Maybe yours isn't that serious. And, and well, it's okay if it kind of goes on, but, but we'll just, no, it's not that easy. If we look at it, it's not that easy. And there is an expectation for change Absolutely. Yes, I expect people's lives to be changed because this is real power. This is real life changing power, but it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come by self-effort. And it's probably not gonna happen on our own timeline. Your timeline or my timeline or anybody else's for anybody else. And when we express this in a way that questions people's salvation, because they're still struggling with something, man, that, that pushes people back into that, that fear and shame cycle. We talked about it a couple weeks ago about being the real deal. We called it the cycle of hypocrisy. We push people back into that because, well, if they were serious, they would stop. And then they say, well, you're right. If I was serious, I wouldn't have this problem anymore. Maybe I'm not safe. Maybe I need to do that, but, right? Or, they just keep going on and it's pushed under the rug and, and, and now they have shame because it's pushed under the rug and it's still happening and there's no real opportunity to change. So this newly believing Simon approaches Peter and asks to buy this gift of empowering people with the Holy Spirit. And I just look at Peter's actions and I'm like, I mean, I get what you're doing, Peter but it's, it's strong, right? I know, I know people of God who have very strong personalities. And when they say things that are correct, but they say them in a, in a not nice way, 
it doesn't, it's not effective, right? And so I look at Peter and I'm like, ah, Peter, man, you're still working this thing out, man. You're still working it. Peter's not perfect. Peter's not Jesus. Peter has the Holy Spirit. Peter's been made new, but he's still wrestling with some stuff. He's still growing. So Simon approaches Peter and Peter rebukes him very strongly. It's consistent with Peter's personality. We know that. And he says this, you have no part or share in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Now we could look at that and we could say, well, see, Simon's heart wasn't right. He didn't have a new heart. His heart wasn't right. Because we read that as like, well, I gotta get right with God. That's how we read it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm out of relationship with God. I gotta get right with God. Get... But if you look at that word, the word right, it can mean true or sincere or straight, or level. In other words, something's off here, Simon. Something's off in your approach with this. You're not after this gift for the right reasons. Your heart's not sincere. You're not being true with what's happening here. And again, that goes back to Simon's past, doesn't it? Simon's used to influencing and oppressing people because of his power. He wants the power for that reason. Peter recognizes that, and he says, your intentions aren't sincere in this. And then Peter goes on to say, or he says before that, he says that you don't have a part or a share in this matter. What matter are we talking about? Are we talking about salvation? Are we talking about Christianity? I don't think so. You don't have a part or a share in this matter. Remember when the 11 apostles replaced Judas? What did they say about Judas? They said, we have to replace Judas because he had a share in this matter. He had a share in this ministry. It's the same word. Simon is asking for the authority that the apostles have and and Peter says, you're not an apostle. You don't have a share in this matter, okay? You don't have a share in this matter and your heart's not right. You're trying to get this thing and you're not even approaching it in the right way. You don't understand what this is. You're seeking that role out of impure means and you just want attention for it. You don't understand how this works. You don't have a share in this. You're not an apostle. And then Peter says these, very strong phrases. He says, I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and you're in the bondage of unrighteousness. The gall of bitterness. It's like bile is what that word means. The gall of bitterness. Something your liver produces, I think. I don't know what it does. Gets rid of fat, maybe. I'm not sure. Anyway, gall. It's gross, okay? Bile. It's gross. It's poison. You are in the poison of bitterness. You're looking at this power. You're wanting it for the wrong motives. You're jealous because we have it. You used to have the authority. You don't have this authority. You're in, you're in poison right now. It's killing you. You're in the gall of bitterness and you're in the bondage of unrighteousness. You're stuck in the ways of the unrighteous. You're in the bondage. You're a slave to the ways, to the old ways, okay? The unrighteous ways. You're being stuck, you're held captive by unrighteousness. In other words, you're stuck in the old ways. That's not who you are anymore, Simon. Simon was a a believer, right? But in this instance, he was going back and he was walking according to the old ways. Peter's letting him know it very strongly, but he's letting him know it. This is not what it is to walk in new life, Simon. 
You have resurrection life, and yet you're going back to the old ways. That's not who you are anymore. Don't be in bondage to the old ways. Don't be in bondage to unrighteousness in that way. You're not unrighteous. You're righteous now in right relationship with Christ. Don't be a slave to that anymore. You don't have to live that way anymore. Do you know what we call the old ways? We call the old ways the flesh. When you're reading scripture, if you look through scripture and you see the term the flesh, Paul writes about the flesh a lot. John, I think, writes about the flesh, spirit in the flesh. The old ways are the flesh. It's your old patterns of doing things. It's your old, the old ways that you used to survive on this planet, whether you're talking about surviving on the planet with other people and getting by with other people, or whether you're talking about surviving in relationship with God, and that's religion, right? That's flesh. That's living in the flesh, depending on the flesh. And Paul says in Philippians chapter three, he says, I put no confidence in the flesh. Don't put confidence in the flesh. The flesh is the old pattern of living, the old pattern of the things that you use to get by. Don't put confidence in that thing. The flesh for Simon is finding confidence and approval from people through his displays of power, okay? He's looking to the flesh again to gain that approval. But Peter says, you're putting confidence in the flesh if he was saying it in the way that Paul said it. You don't have a part in this ministry. Why do you want a part in this ministry? You want a part in this ministry because you want people to look to you and approve of you for having something that they don't have. That's the old way. That's the old Simon. You don't need to do that anymore. It's not for you, right? You only want it to gain the approval and notoriety from other people. That's not what matters for you anymore. What matters is the fact that in Christ, you're approved and you are accepted. Not only are you approved and accepted as you were, no, you are made acceptable, okay? He made you acceptable. Don't be in bondage to the old way of unrighteousness. When you were unrighteous and you were out of relationship with God, when you had a dead spirit in you, you learned to operate and move and succeed in this world in certain patterns of behavior. Don't live according to those rules anymore. Don't live according to those ways. You don't have to, okay? This is the message for us, people. Don't live according to the flesh. And that applies to patterns of sin that we picked up along the way to get by. And that, that applies to patterns of religion that we picked up. Our own self-effort that we picked up to get by in our relationship with God because we thought, well, God wants me to do this, so I better do this. And if I don't do this, God's not gonna like me or God's not gonna be happy with me. And so we're living in those old patterns. That's the flesh when you and I are tempted or we're intrigued by those old patterns or, or the ways that we used to walk, those ways of the flesh, we might need to be reminded by a friend or a mentor or a brother or sister that those old ways never led to anything anyway. Remember that? We didn't get anywhere with that. We didn't get anywhere with religion. We're stuck in the same cycle over and over and over. They only led to, those ways only led to failure and shame and fear and frustration. Trouble on this earth. We might need to be reminded by our brother or sister. I'm not gonna take Peter's route necessarily where he's like, you better hope God can forgive you. Well, I believe that God can forgive you, right? 
The only, those ways only led to shame and fear and failure. That's, we have a new way. It's not the way of the flesh. It's the way of the spirit. Paul says, he goes on in Philippians, he says, if anybody has a reason to put confidence in the flesh, if anybody has a reason on this planet to believe that the way of doing things that they're doing is gonna get, the, get them there, it's me, Paul says. He says, I'm the one. And he lists all of his qualifications. And then in verse seven, Philippians three, verse seven, he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted loss because of Christ. Because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith alone. See, living in the flesh is depending on me and my effort and what I can do to get through this world or living, on me, ba- living based on, on my effort and, and my own willingness to put forth effort in relationship to God. That's living in the flesh, depending on what I can do and what I can accomplish. Living in the spirit is depending on him. 100% Jesus. It's all Jesus. Simon, as a new believer, he had tendencies to walk in the flesh like we all do. To walk depending on his own ability to find approval with God and people. That's why he's trying to buy this authority to give people the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, don't be stuck in that way. Don't be held in the bondage of unrighteousness. You've been freed from that, so don't walk in it. Don't walk there. Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, if we live by the Spirit, if we have life by the Spirit, and we do if we're in Christ, if we live by the Spirit, he says, well, then let us walk by the Spirit, not the flesh. If we have life because of the Spirit, let us walk because of the spirit, not the law and flesh. And Simon replies to Peter. He says, will you pray for me? Will you help me? Many of us find ourselves walking according to the flesh, whether it's the patterns of this world, whether it's, whether it's those things, those patterns of sin, that we had before, whether it's trying to live the Christian life in our own effort, under our own strength and our own ability. Dr. Bill Gillum in this, uh, this life study that we're gonna start on Monday, he says this. He says, the Christian life is not hard. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Christian life is impossible. The only person who ever lived it is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And now he wants to live that life through you. I don't know, maybe you feel like you've been living according to the flesh. Maybe you feel like you've been stuck in that cycle for a very long time. And if you have, it's very tiring, it's exhausting. 
Is it time to say like Simon, will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you walk with me? Will you pray for me? Maybe you're saying, I recognize I've been living in the flesh, living among my own abilities, based on my own abilities to manage this world, walking this Christian life in my own strength. And I'm guessing if you have been, (laughs) you met a lot of failure. The only answer is to be completely 100% dependent on Christ and him living through you. It's the only way. Can we pray with you? Can I pray with you? I'm gonna go to the back and I wanna pray with you. I've also been wrestling with the, this idea this morning because of what these believers in Samaria experienced with the Holy Spirit, understanding they believed and they baptized, they were, they were baptized, they were saved, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Had not yet welcomed that experience in their life. Can I pray for you this morning? Can I lay hands on you? I'm not saying I'm an apostle. But I know what it is to welcome the Spirit and I know what a difference it makes in your experience with God. I'm shaking in my boots right now, people. <laughs> I'm, I'm honest. I'm being honest. I wrestled with this all morning. Am I going to do this? Am I going to offer to empower people with the Holy Spirit this morning? And I'm going to. So uh, it's already out of my mouth now. But if you want to pray, I'm going to go to the back and, and we'll lay hands on you and we'll pray for you to experience the Holy Spirit. We'll wait. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but we'll wait. If you feel like you've been walking in the flesh and in, under your own strength and your own power for a long time, I want to pray with you too. So um, why don't you stand up to your feet and let's sing about our identity in Christ. Let's sing about forgiven hearts. Let's sing about hearts that are made new. Let's sing about his goodness to us. Let's worship and, and let's just keep going. So you can move at any time.